If you'll turn with me to the 23rd Psalm. You really probably don't have to turn there. I think most of you already know it by heart. But that's what we're going to look at this morning. But first I want to take you back to 1875. Ira Sankey was D.L. Moody's musician, song leader, and the one that was at his right hand at all of his preaching events. Moody was known throughout the United States and England. He was that day's version of Billy Graham. But on this occasion in 1875, Ira Sankey was traveling with his wife, traveling up the Delaware River by steamboat on his way home for Christmas. Well, everybody knew Sankey in those days, and he figured as much they might invite him to sing, and, and someone did. And he had, had thought that if that happened, he would sing a Christmas carol. But God put something else on his heart. For some reason, he decided to sing a hymn. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Much we need your tender care. Well, Sankey sang the song, and immediately afterwards, a gentleman approached him and asked if he might speak with him. And Sankey said, well, sure. He said, were you doing picket duty on a moonlight, a moonlit night in 1862, such and such a place. That was 13 years earlier during the Civil War. Sankey said, why, yes, I was. The man said, I too was on duty that night, serving in the Confederate Army. Sankey would have been in the Union Army. He said, I too was on duty that night, and I saw you standing at your post, and I raised my musket to take aim. And at that very instant, you began to sing, and it was the very song, the very hymn you sang tonight, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. He said, my mother used to sing that song when I was a child. And at the very moment I was ready to pull the trigger, you began to sing and my hands dropped limp. And I could not shoot you. Well, Iris Sankey not only sang about the shepherd's care, he had experienced it. I didn't know it for 13 years, to what extent, but he had lived the care of God in trying circumstances. But Ira Sankey and his story is far from unique. David experienced God's Miraculous care and deliverance many times as he fled from Saul in the wilderness and other times in battle. And David wrote about God's shepherd-like care in this psalm. 3,000 years ago, it's become a source of great comfort 
for Christians for ages. It's sung at funerals or recited. Or it's found on printed material. David knew intimately of God's care. And David was also a shepherd by trade before he was king. The parallels between the shepherd's responsibility and what God does for us, his sheep, are remarkable. And they bring us great comfort. In verse 1, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. But I'm here to tell you this morning, and I know you realize that he is also our shepherd. David is writing a very personal hymn, close to his heart, a very personal psalm. But it is our psalm too, for he is our shepherd. He will always care for us like a shepherd does his sheep. But God's care, the promise of God's care, the comfort of knowing that God cares for us is never an excuse to live independent and unruly lives. Sometimes sheep do that, you know. They don't necessarily do what they're supposed to do. They require a shepherd. Disobedient sheep that stray from the shepherd's care complicate their lives and they endanger themselves. We don't want to be like that as God's sheep. So let's consider what it really means that the Lord is our shepherd. What do we need to do? What are the responsibilities of sheep? I asked myself that question again as I looked at Psalm 23, one of my favorite psalms and favorite things in all the Bible. And it is so wonderful to look at all that God does for us, and, and, and we, will, we will do that. But sheep too have a responsibility. What is it that we need to do to assure ourselves that we walk in step with our shepherd, that we follow him? I so much enjoyed the selection of the music this morning, brother. It, uh, it already made that truth very apparent to us. We need to follow the shepherd. So in practical terms, what do we need to do? Well, first of all, number one, we need to accept what the shepherd is doing in our life. Accept what he is doing in our life. God's doing something important in every one of our lives. David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That means I will not lack anything. He will provide all that I need. He continues and says he makes me to lie down in green pastures. And he leads me beside the still water. It is the shepherd who cares for the most basic needs of the sheep. If he did not lead them to where there was pasture, they would not eat. If he did not lead them to where there were many opportunities to drink, they would thirst. But it is the shepherd's leadership, the shepherd's care that we have to be satisfied with in our life. He leads us 
to all that we need. He provides all that we need. We have to satisfy ourselves with his care because our tendency is to take our own care into our own hands. Now, obviously, we have a role to play in taking care of ourselves. But ultimately, God is the one that cares for us. He provides us with the opportunities. He provides us with the ability to meet our needs. But sheep are not like that. David is simply illustrating the fact that God does lead us. When I visited Israel back in the 90s, we traveled from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And believe me, it is down to Jericho because the elevation falls rapidly. I was most intrigued of all things, not by any sights we saw, but by the shepherds that I spotted along the way. Very small flocks, look like maybe eight or ten. A Bedouin shepherd there still in that rugged Judean wilderness walking in front of his flock. You see, sheep are not driven like cattle. Sheep follow the shepherd. The shepherd leads. Interesting enough, in the New Testament, when the Bible refers to the pastor's qualifications in 1 Timothy 3.3, it says he must rule his own house well, or else how will we know how to rule the church of God? But the word rule in the Greek means lead. It's not about driving people. It's about leading people. God leads us. He doesn't make us follow him. We have to satisfy ourselves with his care. We have to get in step with his direction. We have to follow like she. So we have to satisfy ourselves with his care if we're going to accept what he's doing in our life. But the second thing we have to do is to yield ourselves to his correction. Accepting his care means, yes, we follow him, but when we don't follow him, it also means we accept his correction into our lives. David wrote, next, he restores my soul. Now, the word soul here is a typical Hebrew word for life. He restores life. Now, how is that meant? From a, stepper, from a shepherd's standpoint, he restores the sheep that are cast down. Now, that's what well, I understand that shepherds call, call it when a sheep is overturned onto its back. And when a sheep is on its back, it cannot get up, especially if it's weighted down with a lot of wool or it's very heavy. The shepherd has to come along and literally straddle the sheep and, and pull it back up and right it or else the sheep will lay there and die. I think this is what David was referring to when he says God restores our soul. He lifts us up and he puts us back on our feet and he, he turns our life around. My restorative moment came a long time ago. I was a young, young man starting my second year education beyond high school. I had accepted Christ and put my faith in him as my savior at about eight years of age, but I never let him shepherd me. 
I followed my own path and did what I wanted. I didn't know that that was wrong even. But God had to restore me to what I should be. And at that point in time in my life, I had so many disappointments, so many things that discouraged me, things that didn't go the way I had hoped. And I finally realized I wasn't fit to direct my life. And one night, laying there in that dorm room, on that little twin bed, I simply said to God, you know, I've made a mess out of my life. From now on, I'm going to let you be the leader. I'm going to let you tell me what to do. I'm going to follow you. That was my restorative moment. It changed my life. That was nearly 50 years ago. It's a precious time. You, 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 many of you have experienced just such a thing in your life. And we could all testify that when he restores our soul, things are so much better. For we have a shepherd. So the Lord is our shepherd. He gives us care and we have to be satisfied with it. We have to yield to his correction. But we also have to embrace his purpose for us in life. That's the next thing that David says. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. We've already talked about the shepherd's leadership, but let's talk about the path. He leads us in the paths of righteousness. Now, as far as a shepherd is concerned with his sheep, he, re he leads the sheep to the right place to feed. And that's all the sheep care about, food and water. But we are not sheep. And neither are we following out of instinct like sheep, so we can make our own minds up and often we choose wrong. But God's object and purpose in all of our lives is to lead us in paths of righteousness. You see, we are so concerned in life, and I know as a young man, I was so concerned. What, what is it, God, you want me to do? And you know, God doesn't always answer that question plainly. He expects us to live by faith, and he sovereignly directs our lives. We eventually understand his purposes and our calling. But more important than that, what I want to say is this. We tend to think, as modern-day Americans in this society, what's most important is what we do. But I'm telling you that God's most concerned about who we are and what we are. And he's most concerned that we walk in the paths of righteousness. And he'll always lead us in that direction. It's a sad thing to be leading your own life when you don't know where you're going. But we have a Savior, a shepherd, who will always lead us in the paths of righteousness. Now, that means, of course, he'll lead us in, in conjunction with all that he's revealed in his word. For, for there is the path of righteousness. We should not be, we should not ever be biblically illiterate because that is 
the path he's chosen for us. The Lord is our shepherd. Well, as obedient sheep, that means, first of all, we have to accept what he is doing in our life. But there's a second thing I want to give you this morning from this psalm. The second thing that we need to do as obedient sheep is to rely on the Lord to meet our needs. You see, if we accept his leadership, we can depend on his care and we can rely on him. And when we get disturbed, when we get distressed, when we get distraught, we tend to forget about the promises of God and the care of God. And we literally disturb our own souls because we're not relying on him. We must depend upon him, first of all, because he's always present. He's always there. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. <clears throat> there is no word death in the original language here. It just says the valley of the shadow, the dark place. Oh, but obviously, dark places the sheep had to pass through would put them in danger, so nothing wrong with the translation. But what I'm saying here that, that I think is important is we all go through dark places. We may not be facing death, but we go through a lot of tough times and dark places in our life. And God will use them to develop us and to perfect us into the image of Christ. They are not bad in themselves. All things work together for good, right? Now, that being true, they're tough to go through. They're difficult to endure. But you see, God never sends us through the valley of the shadow and says, take care. He leads us through the valley. He is always with us in the dark days. That's what's important. I will fear no evil, he says. Why? Because you are with me. And then he says this, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod, interesting enough, is probably a very short piece of wood, a sapling perhaps dug up with a ball on the end and it's shaped into the form of a club, a short club. Going back to Texas history, it would be maybe comparable to carrying a bowie knife in the wilderness, you know, an object for short-range self-protection. But the shepherd who carried that club if he had to use it to defend a sheep, he was an expert at it if he practiced with it. Shepherds could throw a club some distance and hit an animal. In some cases, they even threw the club to turn around a wayward sheep. Interesting, David killed the lion and the bear, remember, before he killed Goliath. And then he killed Goliath with a the sling. There's no mention of a sling here. 
Not that shepherds didn't have slings, but I'm saying David was proficient in a lot of things. And when he killed that, I believe it was the lion, it said he, he grabbed him by the mane and killed him in hand-to-hand combat, probably using the club, the rod. Thy rod and thy staff. Well, the staff was the longer shepherd's in- instrument we're all used to seeing. The end, the end is usually shaped. They use it to direct the sheep, move the sheep around, pull the sheep back from danger. So David says, you protect me with the rod and you, you keep me from harming myself with the staff. And God in his power always has a rod and a staff and he's always there. And because of that, David says, I will fear no evil. So we have to rely on the shepherd's presence. But also, we have to rely on his promises. His care comes about because of his presence and is fulfilled because of his promises. And so David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I puzzled over that for years, literally. I thought, that is such a strange saying. Who would set a table in the presence of their enemies? But you see, it wasn't a table like we think of being a table. It was a table land. A mesa, a plateau, where I come from in West Virginia, we call it a flat. It's where there was ample growth of plants that could satisfy sheep. It wasn't grown up in brush. It was a good flat place for a flop together and just mosey around and eat. But shepherds would actually scope these out before bringing the sheep there or have someone do it. And they'd oftentimes visit these places and make sure there was nothing there to harm the sheep. Pulling up poisonous plants, making sure there was water and such. The shepherd prepared the feeding place. But sheep are never outside of the presence of their enemies. In the wild. These these flocks that David's talking about, what he experienced, they weren't like fencing in a field for sheep to graze in. Even to this day, the shepherds in that part of the world, they just wander wherever. And believe me, they have to because there's not a whole lot of places they can find some green pasture. They've got to move the sheep often so they don't overgraze, and they've got to move them long distances. And they've got to make sure that if they go that distance, there's something there. We live in this world literally in the presence of our enemies every day. And we live in the presence of the enemy who seeks to turn us from the paths of righteousness. But we do not have to fear evil because he is with us. His rod and his staff comforts us and he prepares all that we need to know about life and gives it to us all in the presence of our enemies. And then David says this, in the latter part of verse 5, You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. 
Shepherds would carry a little flask or bottle of maybe a couple, one to give the sheep to drink and the other to uh, put, put on their head kind of as an ointment. You anoint my head with oil. Well, shepherds literally put a, a, a sulfur and linseed oil type of uh, dressing on the, the head and the face of sheep so the flies won't bother them. And he used a similar type of, of uh, concoction to treat insect infestations and wounds. See, David's not talking about a perfect life where we never have any scrapes, never have any injuries. But God even nurses us through those times. But the most interesting thing about verse 5 is where he says, you anoint, you anoint my head with oil. Because it's the only verb in Psalm 23 that's past tense. Every other verb here is either to be taken and understood as present tense or future tense. This is the only past tense verb in this psalm. One uh, commentator that I read actually preferred to translate it this way. You have already anointed my head with oil. And that would be the literal meaning here of the past tense. David is looking back to that day when Samuel came to the house of Jesse and he was selected, the youngest of all the brothers, and he was anointed to be king in Israel. But why does he mention it here? Why does he change the figure? I mean, he's, he's comparing it to how shepherds anoint their sheep, but, but God anointed him. That's what he's saying. God, God's anointment of David had to do with his purpose and calling. And then he adds this, and this is even more remarkable, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Why? Because he'd been anointed. God put his hand on him. God had a purpose that was going to be fulfilled. And the word mercy here is the Hebrew word which actually means God's faithfulness to fulfill all of his promises. Sometimes it's translated loving kindness. Sometimes it's translated mercy. But it literally means that God is faithful to do all that he says, all that he promises. So David says, you've anointed me. Therefore, I know that you're going to be faithful to your promise and fulfill your purposes in my life. And I can count on it. And then finally David says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now that's future tense, obviously. And David was absolutely assured of it. How, did he, how was he so assured? How did he know for sure he was going to dwell in the house of the Lord? Because God had anointed him and God had been faithful to him and God had protected him and God had preserved him and God had stayed with him. He had to correct David sometimes. But he always was there, leading him. And 
I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm reminded of John chapter 14, verse 1 and following. Jesus, on the night before his betrayal and ultimate arrest, trial, and crucifixion, there in the upper room, the supper being completed, he looks at his disciples and he says, let not your heart be troubled. Why do you say that? Because they were about to have their hearts troubled with all that was going to happen. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, he says, there are many houses, many dwelling places, and I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that there where I am you will be also. Now, they didn't fully understand and had some questions, but just think of that promise. That's what David's talking about. I had a dear friend that went to be with the Lord just a little over a year ago. I sat down, just him and I, in his living room, just a few weeks before the Lord called him home, and he was fully expecting it at that point. He looked at me and he said, Jay, I feel guilty. I said, that wasn't what I was expecting to hear. Now, he, he, he had a real dry wit, but that could really make a point. And I didn't realize that's where he was at with this. But under the circumstances and situation, when he said, Jay, I feel guilty, I thought, whoa, 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 I've never heard anyone say that before. And I, I said, you feel guilty? And he looked at me and he said, yeah, I feel guilty. I'm going to get to heaven before you do. <laughs> There was no doubt about it in his mind. And that's where he's at today. So, if he is our shepherd, we've got to accept what he's doing in our life, rely on him for everything else. He will be there. Interesting news report, which is way more than a decade old now, came out of Turkey, the city, excuse me, the, the country of Turkey. It reads something like this. Hundreds of sheep followed their leader off a cliff in eastern Turkey, plunging to their deaths this week while shepherds looked on in dismay. 400 sheep fell to their death, went over the cliff one after another, The other 1,100 in the flock followed them, but because 400 had died and piled up on the bottom, their fall was broken and they didn't die. But all 1,500 in the flock went over. Now, I'm ad-libbing a little bit from the article. Let me get back to it. Shepherds from a nearby village neglected the flock while they were eating breakfast leaving the sheep to roam free. Total loss, and there will be a lot more today, but at that point it was $74,000. I didn't know sheep were that expensive. One sheep wandered off a cliff and 1,499 others followed along. You say, sheep are dumb animals. Well, you know what? So aren't we. How many times have we followed somebody else off a cliff? But these sheep 
went over the side because the shepherds were neglecting their duty. But God will never, ever neglect his duty as our shepherd. He is our shepherd. He always will be our shepherd. He will always be there. He will never desert us. So what we need to be concerned with is ourselves. We need to make sure that we do not stray from his care. Accept what he's doing in your life. Rely on him and don't go off on your own trying to accomplish something you shouldn't. Or doing something without his help and approval. We can endanger ourselves. The Lord is our shepherd. Follow him.